Today we are going to talk about when God's will stresses you out. When God's will stresses you out. Uh, I don't have many answers to that, but I do have a lot of illustrations for some reason, which I want to share some of those with you. But before I get started, maybe you saw the news report that came out this past week, and it seems that a couple weeks ago, there were some people in New York, New Yorkers, and they dug 100 feet down into the ground, and they found copper wire. And they concluded from that that 100 years ago, the great state of New York already had telephone service. Well, Some people in California heard about this, and they decided that they would also dig down. They dug down into the ground. They dug 200 feet, and they concluded, and they called a press conference on this. They concluded that 200 years ago, the great state of California had telephone service. Some people in Dallas, Texas, we can only assume they were cowboy fans. Just ignore him dug 300 feet down into the ground and found absolutely nothing. They called a major press conference, and at the press conference they said, 300 years ago, the great state of Texas went completely wireless. So, I don't know if you guys saw that. We continue to pray for our brothers and sisters down in the in the state of Texas. All right, why would, we, why, would we, why would we want to do this? Why would we want to pray for God's will to be done in our lives if God's will actually brings us stress? Well, first of all, there's a couple really important reasons. First of all, Romans chapter 12 tells us this, that God's will is good, it's perfect, and it's pleasing. So God's will is the best thing that we could ever possibly do with our lives. I mean, the, the smartest thing we ever do is place ourselves firmly, totally, 100% into the will of God. It's the best thing we could ever do. It says this in Isaiah 58, these words. It says, the Lord will guide you. So when the Lord guides you, you're in God's will, what's going to happen when that happens? So it says this, he's going to satisfy your needs, even when you're in a sun-scorched land. So when you're going through a lot of trials and you've got some problems and you feel all dried up, God says, even then, his will is going to be the best thing for you. God goes on and says this, he's going to strengthen you. You're going to be like a well-watered garden and like whose spring waters never fail. God is telling us that his will is absolutely the best thing for us. And if we'll put ourselves in the middle of God's will, because God, I want nothing but your will in my life, that even when we're going through tough times, dry times, that it's going to be so much better than what it would be otherwise. We want God's will. So what is God's will? Romans 8.29 tells us that it is the will of God that all of us be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that we become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's the will of God for every single one of us. Now, We can't have the will of God in our lives, everybody, unless we have an ever-growing faith, right? We have to say, we have to see that our faith is growing. We have to go before God and say, God, grow my faith, increase my faith, just like the disciples did. Luke 7, 17, 5, they said, Jesus, please increase our faith. We have to do that. For somebody to say, you know what, I I, I want God's will in my life, but I don't want to grow my faith. It's like somebody saying, you know, I want to be in tip-top physical condition. I'm just never going to work out. I'm never going to exercise. The two don't go together. It doesn't doesn't happen. So we have to see an increase of faith in order for God's will to be done. Zach's going to come over here and talk to us real quick second. There's a couple scriptures as he's walking over I want to remind you of. Hebrews 11, 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Galatians chapter 5 says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now I want you to consider this morning praying the prayer, God, whatever it takes, increase my faith. Would everybody please welcome Zach Stewart. Thanks, my man. Sound check? Okay, great. 
Hi there. Um, if you walked up to me and asked me today, if someone on the street walked up to me and asked me today, you know, do you believe in God? I could look them straight in the eye and say right away yes. Right? If they asked me, do you think he has a plan for your life? I, as a reflex action, could say, oh yeah, I, I definitely do. Right? I, do I think he cares about me? Yes. Do I think he's out there? Yes. Do I think he's listening? Yes. It wasn't always that way. Okay? Um, a few years ago, I was, I was participating in a lot of different things at Grace. Um, in the back of your blue bolt and all those things that are in there, I was probably doing a whole mess of them. Um, so I was doing activity after activity after activity, and I met a lot of great people. I learned to pray. I found a community group that I loved, but I don't know that all those things together quite brought me to that place where I felt God, where I felt a relationship with him. Um, if someone had asked me a while back, if I believed in God, I, I would have answered yes, but it would have been more with my head than with my heart, if that makes sense. Um, I would, you know, analytically, you know, the, the, um, the stories about the relevance of the Bible made sense, right? Um, I had seen God work in the lives of other people, and that suggested to me that he was there. He'd answered a very big prayer of mine, and that was the, the closest I came to, to understanding um, that he was out there. Now, don't get me wrong, that was a big prayer, right? Um, I... I had a job that I felt was going nowhere. And I, um, my community group and I prayed for years to get me out of that place. And it just, it brought down so much of what I had going on in my life that it, it was, um, it was tough. Well, God took me out of there and he took me out of there in a big way. Um, if, if any of you have ever had one of those dreams where you, you wake up and, and you, you just wake up with that, like, ah, oh, that feeling. And, and you're in this like wondrous little, like sort of space and, and you're starting to realize, oh, shoot, and you're, that was a, was I dreaming, right? And you're trying to grab it, and the harder you try and grab it, just sort of disappears, right? I still remember the day that I woke up and opened my eyes and looked out and saw the sunshine and, rem- and realized that that job offer letter I'd gotten the day before was not a dream, okay? All of a sudden, you know, God one day answered uh, my prayer and, and the prayers of my friends and my family and took me out of that job and put me in a sweet one, Right? with a sweet salary. It was almost double my other salary. Um, right in the middle of the action. And I felt like somehow that my, my birthright had been restored. You know, as an overachiever, I was like, no one knows what I'm doing or where I am. And, and all of a sudden, that was changed in a big way. So things on the surface were, were pretty good. I mean, um, I could afford work clothes that, that looked like something a professional should wear, right? I, I was seeing a girl that seemed to be a good match for me, and I could take her out on dates that didn't involve Happy Meals. Um, my external life had, had, gotten, had gotten better, but I, I still didn't really know what it was to have a relationship with God. I wasn't quite sure, you know, okay, big prayer, big prayer, 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 answer, yes, now what? I didn't know, right? And I, I, wasn't, um, I wasn't in a particularly big hurry to find out, I guess, because, you know, I remember thinking at that job that even though it didn't feel like it was a great fit, it was pretty cozy, and it might take something big to move me out of that spot. So I sort of put that, answering that question, you know, on the side for a little while. Um, I had friends that had discernment, right? They actually, they used that word, wisdom, discernment, and I, and I sort of envied them. You know, they really seemed like they had a connection to God that, that I wanted to have. I wanted to understand what that meant. So, so one day in church, I offered up a big prayer to God, took a big, well, one of those little uh, four-by-four yellow post-it notes. Um, it's, it was something that everyone in church was doing that day. And I offered up a prayer to God. I asked God to build my faith in him. 
I didn't tell him how I was hoping he would build my faith. Whether or not this is a mistake, I guess I'll have to debate for, for, for some time. But um, as you know, God has a sense of humor, okay, that I was about to find out about. So did God hear me, right? God, build my faith, right? Big prayer, the kind he wants to hear. Did he hear me? I don't know. And I didn't think about it a whole lot that week because I had a lot going on, right? I had my flashy job, I had all kinds of things going on, busy, 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 right? At the end of that week, I had a, a, big, I had a big date with my girlfriend. I was taking her out to see her favorite band. I'd never heard of them. But I knew she was going to be really excited, okay? It was going to be all about her, like good stuff, right? So um, Friday afternoon rolls around, right? Oof, got to the end of the week, just a couple hours going out to see a band. Everything's going to be great. And I just had one more meeting to go to, and it rolled onto my calendar that day, and I didn't really know what it was about, but I didn't pay much attention because the people I asked, they were sort of cryptic about it, but they didn't really have time. So I figured, uh, whatever, okay. Um, So I I walked into the meeting, and the atmosphere was noticeably awkward. So uh, about 20 minutes later, when that meeting was over, so was my job. Had I done something wrong, uh, well, they couldn't really tell me or they weren't going to, um, and it, it, so it, it didn't really matter, strangely enough, right? I knew right away that I was going to have to find something new, and that's all that mattered. Um, the, there wasn't much point in pushing back on what had happened, because the very same people that you would normally go to to say, help, what's up with this? Those were the people that gave me the news. I kept my composure in that meeting just fine, um, but soon after, I was in shock. Um, everyone had seemed to like me there. They thought I was a hard worker. My last review had been good, but all that was old news. And for reasons that were sort of beyond me, this joyride was, was about to come to an end. Suddenly, you know, my career success, something around, I had, um, around which I had arranged a lot of my focus, a lot of my self-esteem, um, was in meltdown mode. And all of a sudden, that great date that I was going to have with my girlfriend turned into a lot of her comforting me Um, and me wondering what on earth was going to be next. God was definitely going to build my faith, but he had to take me out of my comfort zone first. Um, He was going to do it his way, and he was going to stretch me a little bit. Stay tuned. Round of applause for Zach. Zach's actually going to, he's going to come back later and tell us, not today, next week, and tell us how all that played out, because that happened, what, five years ago, Z? Yeah, about five years ago or so. So, so we're going to talk about David and Goliath. We're going to do a, a five-week series on David. And we're going to talk about David and Goliath today. And then we're going to jump forward in David's life and talk about some other things in David's life a little bit later on. So why in the world would you want to say, Lord, build my faith? Or, hey, God, whatever it takes, increase my faith. If it means that you're going to have a problem with your job, why in the world would you do that? Why would you do that? So... Uh, what we're going to talk about this morning a little bit is that when you pray that prayer, because the hope is, is that everybody will consider that prayer, praying that prayer. Hey, God, whatever it takes, increase my faith. This is the clear, clear point of this message, everybody. Whatever it takes, increase my faith. Could you say that with me, God? Everybody, whatever it takes, increase my faith. All right, very good. See, now I tricked you into saying it. Um, so if you were to sincerely pray that prayer, Stuff is going to start to happen in your life. Things are going to happen. Some of it's going to be awesome. Some of it's going to be really scary. I hope it doesn't involve your job, but it could. It could. You never know. And here's the thing I would have liked to have known a number of years ago when I prayed that prayer. I'm going to talk about three things this morning that I would have liked to know, and I want to use David's life 
and kind of how it began with his journey towards being the king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel, how all that began, and some things we can learn along the way. And then I want to intersperse some real stressors that I've had in my life recently with this whole thing that's called Spring Jam, which uh, tested my faith like nobody's business. So here's the first thing that I would have liked to have known many years ago when I prayed that prayer, and that is, is image means nothing. Image means nothing. We are so geared that image means everything that even when we tell ourselves that it means nothing, it still means everything, everything. We're afraid of the image that we are putting off. We're afraid of the way things look. This story of David leading up to his anointing uh, to be the king and also his battle against this huge giant, which everybody seems to know, even people who have no clue where the story is in the Bible. A lot of people know the story of David and Goliath. It's very, very popular, used on sports themes all the time. This entire story is filled, completely laced with this theme that image means absolutely nothing. Let's review. So why was David going to become king in the first place? He's going to become king in the first place because King Saul had repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly disobeyed God. God said, I want you to do this, Saul, and Saul didn't do it. And again and again and again. And finally, Samuel the prophet, the most well-known person of faith in the entire land of Israel, God says, okay, Samuel, I'm it. I've had it up to here with Saul. We're done with him. So he goes to Saul, Saul, why did you do this? And Saul says, oh, I'm sorry, please forgive me, but could you do something for me? Check this out. Here's where the image comes in. I'm sorry I did it, but could you come and stand next to me during the big church service we're getting ready to have because that would honor me in front of all the people. So Saul wasn't really, you know, deeply concerned that he had blown it. What he wanted to make sure is that he looked kingly, that he looked very presidential in front of all the people because the image is what? Image is everything. And so after that, God speaks to Samuel. He says, Samuel, I want you to go to this little town of Bethlehem just outside of Jerusalem, and I want you to anoint one of Jesse's sons as king of Israel. And what does Samuel, the great man of faith, say? He says, God, I can't do that. You know why? Because it doesn't look right. Doesn't look right. I can't do it. Doesn't look right. What do you mean doesn't look right? It's my will. I want you to do it. He said, well, you know, Saul's going to hear about it. He's going to be mad. He's going to be angry. He could even kill me. I, I can't do it. It doesn't look right. He says, forget about the way you think things look. Go on down to Bethlehem and anoint. So he gets down there. He tells Jesse, Jesse, bring all of your sons. Jesse had eight sons. Bring all of your sons here. All right, we're going to have a little church service. So he gets the sons together, not all of them, seven of them, not eight of them. Gets seven of them together. And the first one, his name is Eliab. So here comes Eliab. Now, Eliab is big and tall. He's very presidential looking. And the moment that Samuel lays eyes on this guy, he says, this is it. This guy is it. He stands up. He's got this horn filled with oil, and he starts making his way to Eliab. Oh, man, this guy's. And God says, no, stop. He's not the one. First Samuel 16, 7. It's on your blue bulletins or the screen behind me. Of course, it's always in your Bible. And here's what it says. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider the appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. But what does the Lord look at, everybody? The Lord looks at the heart. Samuel says, okay, you got another son? Yes, I got plenty of sons. Let's bring number two out. Number two comes out. His name is Abinadab. And Samuel looks at Abinadab and says, oh, man, he doesn't look presidential, but he looks vice presidential. He looks really good. I still like the way he looks. He got, he's got the horn ready to go, and God says, nope, not him either. Samuel's like, oh, man, what is the deal here? And then another, the third, then the fourth, then the fifth, then the sixth, and keeps on coming. And finally, we've run out of sons that are there. 
except for the eighth one. He's somewhere else. And you know what God is saying to us and what God is saying to Samuel and something that we always need to learn. When we say, oh God, increase my faith, we need to learn this one real quick. Image means nothing. We would do ourselves a big favor if we pray that prayer and there's no way we're going to fulfill God's will unless we increase our faith. We do ourselves a big favor when we pray that prayer and say, oh God, help me to have eyes, divine eyes, to see things, to see people and to see situations the way you see them. Because if not, we're just going to keep making mistakes. Like Samuel, mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. Isaiah 55 says this, God speaking, he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We must see things the way God sees them. We should pray, God, please give me divine eyes. So I recently went through, and as many of you know, this thing called Spring Jam, this big outdoor music festival, which my 17-year-old son uh, put on, and it, it just literally scared me to death. The whole thing. I felt for a number of strong reasons, a variety of reasons, really strongly, that God was in it, and it was his will. But that didn't matter. It still scared me, scared me badly. I worried, and I worried a lot. And a lot of my worries about the whole thing, well, of course, I got that phone call at 6.30 on a Monday morning that I was going to go bankrupt over this whole thing, which that doesn't do anybody ever any good. You know what I'm saying? That just is not a good phone call on a Monday morning at 6.30 in the morning. And by the way, uh, this past week, we're totally, we've, everything's paid off. Can you imagine that? We, that whole Spring Jam thing got paid off. Um, Brian Headwelsh, who was here a few weeks ago, he posted it, he tweeted it, he posted it, and he put all these places, hey, anybody want to help out? So we had a little bit of money trickling from that, and that was cool. But uh, when my son was on CNN, uh, there is a person who's on a board of a trust, a very large trust, and they uh, give money different things. They don't ever give to churches, but they bent a rule, and uh, they helped us out in a huge way, and we have absolutely no debt. So that's an awesome thing, all right? But my, my thing about all of this, everybody, was I was really afraid about the image. I was really afraid because I thought this thing's going to fail and nobody's going to be looking at my 17-year-old. They're all going to say, well, you let them do it and you're a failure and there's going to be this cloud hanging over my head. I knew what success was and I knew what failure was. Success was clear, very clear. It was sunny in 72. Success was sunny in 72. And I prayed for it and I told everybody I knew to pray for it. Pray for sun and pray for souls. Sun, 72, pray for souls, right? You know, you know we're praying for 5,000 people to show up and for a lot of people to receive Christ as Savior, you know. And failure, the image of failure that was in my mind, like morning, noon, and night, there was a clear picture on my head. It was going to be cloudy, it was going to be rainy, and there was going to be a small cloud, right, crowd of people right in front of the stage. And you know what happened? It was cloudy, it drizzled, the rain held off all day, and at the end we had this massive downpour. But it was cloudy, and it drizzled, and there was a tiny crowd and I, I, I just saying to myself, I knew it, you know? And for me, image is everything. And I thought, well, this is a complete failure. And God's trying to remind me, and I'm suggesting to you, if you pray this prayer, that God might try to remind you that he sees things differently than we see them. And you need to prepare yourself for that. And I tried to prepare myself for that, but still it was a very hard pill to swallow. I don't understand all that just took place. Obviously, 5,000 people did not show up, and neither did the sun show up. Uh, but here's some of the things that, that I did hear about. Uh, people were inspired for some reason by this. 
I met a guy yesterday at a wedding. I was doing a wedding, and uh, I met him up in the room, you know, where all the guys hang out right before we walk out and whatever. So everybody's there in their tux, and everybody's looking sharp. And he walked in the room, and um, he had in his coat pocket, he had a little flask with whiskey in it. And he took a big swig, and he was sweating and nervous already. He wasn't even the groom, but he was nervous and sweating already. And he took a big drink, and he said, hey, you want some? And I said, no, it's okay, but it's very kind of you to offer. Uh, It's very nice of you. And he said, hey, you're the guy with the son that did the spring jam thing. I've never met this guy before. And I said, yeah, yes. And he said, I got to tell you, I was so inspired. And I'm thinking to myself, why? You know, why would he so? He said, when I saw on Facebook that you were out of debt, he said, I almost started crying. Really? Why? I don't get it. I spent 30 minutes on the phone with a guy this past week. He's got an 11-year-old son. He brought the son to the spring jam. He said, and the guy was just going off. He said, it was incredible. It was awesome. I was so inspired. God was there. I was moshing and headbanging with my 11-year-old son. I never would have dreamed of doing that before. And I sat there. I'd listen to these guys, Brian Head Welsh and Sonny from POD, tell their story about what Jesus Christ has done in their life. And he said, it was like a day I've never experienced. I've never experienced God like that before. And I said, Why? Are you serious? We have people write us e- multiple emails and saying, I go to festivals all the time. I go to festivals all the time. This was the most incredible festival I've been to. And we're like, why? <laughs> we a little tiny crowd, some rain, you know. What, what's the big deal? There was, I'll tell you one last story, everybody. Listen, God does not see things the way we see it. Listen, I would not have wrought, written it up this way. If somebody would have told me about a festival happened, I would have said, well, that's a failure, all right? That's what I would have said. But image means nothing. There was a lady. We did this thing. We sold this thing. It's like a VIP pass, and you could see Brian head well. She could spend a little bit of time with him, kind of like a small group meeting with uh, I think a maximum of 30 people could spend some time with him. We had, to, we had to break things up a little bit because the music was so loud and we couldn't find a place big enough to insulate ourselves from the music being so loud to meet. So we took people in groups. There was a lady who was there. She came with her husband and two teenage kids. And she bought on the site, she bought the VIP pass. And we had already finished the VIP thing with meeting Brian. Brian was very tired. He only had a few hours of sleep because it got in very late. And he was getting ready to go on in the music. And she shows up at the fence and she said, and she was, she was broken, she was very humble, and she said, is there any way? I know you're finished because the security guard already told me you're finished, but there's, is there any way? And for some reason, in the midst of all my business, I just stopped. And I listened to her and I said, let me see what I can do. And... I came back to her and she says, you know, my daughter is 30 years old. She had an older daughter and she's addicted to crystal meth and Brian was addicted to crystal meth and she's a huge corn fan and he's from corn and all that. She's telling me this stuff and I'm like, okay. So I go to Brian and he's like, you know, can you come back in a couple hours? I'm happy to do it, but I'm just, so, so I did. I told her to meet me back. We did. So we put it together and I got her in there and I, I was so busy. I couldn't even stay for it. So I have no idea. She wanted him to pray. They wanted to do a prayer together, blah, blah, blah. Okay. That's, I, I hope it happened. And I left. Well, she emails me on Monday morning. She said, I got to tell you the story. And I just want to thank you because you put that thing together that was awesome with me seeing Brian. But here's my story. And she gives me this big, long story about her 30-year-old daughter addicted to crystal meth, doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus, and doesn't want to get off the meth. And she ends it abruptly by saying, I got to stop typing because I can no longer see the computer screen because my eyes are just filled with tears. I was, oh, man. So I felt terrible. And I wrote an email back and gave her some scriptures and prayed for her and this kind of stuff. 
Two days later, Thursday morning, I get another email from her. And she said, you're not going to believe it. My daughter called me last night, Wednesday night. She called me and she said, Mom, whatever I have to do, whatever I have to do, I'm ready to accept Jesus Christ as Lord to save my life and I want to get free of these drugs. I thought, now, the girl, the daughter, the 30-year-old daughter, she lived right next to a church and it's 11 o'clock at night and she's outside talking to her mom on the cell phone and she sees the pastor of this church, I don't even know where the church is, I think it was in Pennsylvania somewhere, walking across the parking lot to his car coming out and her mom says, wave him down. She's out there crying in tears, and she's waving him down over. He's never met her before, and so they're having this big, huge prayer meeting at 11 o'clock night in a parking lot with this pastor she's never met before. And all I'm saying is this. I mean, that touched me deeply. Um, this was not the image of success to me, the spring jam thing, but maybe it was for God. Now, all I'm, I'm trying to say to you is, is that if you pray that prayer, maybe you have this script of success the way it's going to look. There's probably a pretty good chance that it's not going to be the same thing that you're anticipating. Because God sees things differently than we do. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. You need to prepare yourself to be surprised. Prepare yourself to be surprised. Why do I say that? Here's why. Very clearly, everybody, you're going to think that certain people are going to stand with you and believe in you and encourage you and lift you up. Spiritual people. Like, you'll have spiritual, full-blown, all-about-Jesus people in your life that know the Bible. and you think, oh, yeah. When I jump out in faith for this thing, those are the people going to come around me and say, go, 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 and pray for you. And then all of a sudden, they're going to come up and say, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Are you crazy? Are you really? I can't believe the people who I've counted on my own life that I thought would come along and cheer me on when I took major leaps in faith, and instead, they fought against me hard, and it hurt. Well, let's talk about David for a second. You know who stood against him? His own father. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 10 and 11 says, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all your sons? God said one of your sons is king and he hasn't chosen any of these. And then look what Jesse says. He says, oh my gosh, I forgot. I have another son. The youngest one, Jesse answered, but, look at the but, circle that, but. He is tending the sheep. What's he saying? He's tending the sheep. Do we really have to get the kid? His own father forgot about it. How many of us are sitting in this room and our fathers did not support us? You know how much that hurts? That's huge. We want our fathers to believe in us, to affirm us, to lift us up, to support us. And when they don't, it leaves a mark from our father to us that it runs so deep. It hurts. And his own father did not believe in him. He forgot about him. And that was very, very painful in his life. And some of us have been let down in a similar way. Now, look at this other person, 1 Samuel 17, 28. And what it says, when Eliab, that's his oldest brother, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men. Now, what's the context of this? David had come. His father said, I want you to check on your brothers. And so this is the whole battle with Goliath. So David shows up on the scene. And this big, huge giant comes out, and he's mocking God, he's cursing God, and he's challenging. And David says, what's the deal? How come nobody's fighting this guy? He's asking questions. And so when he starts asking questions, this is what Eliab says. So he says, he heard him speaking, and he burned with anger against David. And he says, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? 
I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here only to watch the battle. Now look, this is presidential Eliab, right? This is the guy that's tall and athletic and everybody looks up to. And you know for young David that he looked up to his older brother. You have people that you look up to in your own life. And when you go and you have people who you look up to in your own life and you idolize in some ways and they don't support you, this is a big deal. And this guy, instead of supporting him and say, oh, David, this is awesome. I believe in you, buddy. I just saw Samuel anoint you the next king of Israel. I'm all about you. Eliab had all the information. He's not an idiot. He sat right there and watched the anointing. He saw what took place. And instead he says, you little conceited brat, go back home and play with the sheep. Does that hurt? That hurts. And for some of you, you've already been let down by people close to you. The most obvious people you think would support you and would lift you up as you step out in faith and try to follow God's will for your life and increase your faith, right? You're counting on them to come to your aid. And when they don't, it's devastating. And I just want you to be prepared for that because it's going to happen. And I don't want you to rock your world. You need to know this. The best thing you could possibly do with your life is for God's will to be done. And nor for God's will to be done, you've got to increase your faith. But when you go to increase your faith, people close to you that you're counting on are going to let you down. But don't let that stop you. Do not let that stop you. Continue on. Now, that's the bad surprise. I do have a couple good surprises. The good surprise is this. The most well-known person of faith in the entire land of Israel, the VIP of faith, Samuel himself, is trucking into your town, holding the service. And of all people he's looking for, he's looking for you. And Samuel says to David, I believe in you. You're going to be blown away, everybody, by the people that God is going to send your way and are going to help you. You're unexpected people you don't even know. I have been blown away in my life. Just this past week, listen to people who have encouraged me about this whole Spring Jam thing. But I want to mention just two people specifically here, just real quick, that I would never anticipate. First is Tom Vatcher. Tom Vatcher comes here to grace. Tom, to his own admission, he stood up here and talked before, is not 100% bought into the whole church thing or faith in God. And he's talked about that before. He said, you know, I'm not so, you know, I'm just, I, don't, I don't know that I'm buying all this. His wife kind of dragged him here about five years ago. But over a five-year period of time, things have happened in his life. And totally, I would have never expected Tom Vatcher to be into a heavy metal concert. Are you kidding me? Tom Vatcher spent four, five, six nights down at the 930 Club in his French cuff shirt, right, handing out flyers. Some, do you, do you all know, you know what the 930 Club is? Does anybody, are you anybody with me? All right. Okay. So he's down there, right, in his French cuff shirt, his, his pink French cuff shirt with everybody loaded down with tattoos, and he's handing out flyers all over the place. I never expected Tom Vatcher to be a man of great faith. I was so low. I was so low during this process and hurting so much and worried about it so much. There was a time, very clearly, in this process when I saw Tom, and Tom looked me right in the eye and says, John, I feel strongly about this. This is going to work. Do not be afraid. This is going to work. And it was clear. And it wasn't like he was saying it in his own. It was like God got a hold of his heart or something. And he did that again and again and again. And God used him in a very powerful way. I'm totally surprised. Totally surprised. And, and I, I tell you, <laughs> I needed that deeply. I'll tell you one other person. Steve King, pastor of Cherito Baptist. Now look, 
I just, I just, you know, I don't think Steve is into heavy metal music. I'm just making a guess uh, over Cherry Doe. I think that they're much more traditional than we are. Uh, I can't see him, you know, just getting a tattoo or anything else like that. Um, Steve was incredibly supportive. Clearly said to me, Steve, man, I just, I feel like I'm getting ready to wreck everything. He says, John, this is going to work. I'm telling you this is going to work. You should do it. Now, he backed it up. Cheriel Baptist gave us $1,000 in radio advertising. Now, how often do you hear something like that happening? And God used those two guys. There's just, just two guys. There's plenty of other people. But God used those two guys in a very surprising way in my life. And God will do the same for you. And don't forget it. And when people come along that do that for you in your life, be thankful. You need to go to God and say, thank you so much. I mean, these other people who treat me like crap, ugh, whatever. But thank you so much for this. Give God praise for that. Be prepared to be surprised. All right, one last one. All right, you've got to get anointed. You have got to get anointed. You want God's will in your life? You want to grow your faith? God's trying to do something in your life? Look, everybody. You've got all kinds of forces of darkness, according to the Bible, that's going to fight against you. You've got people who are going to fight against you. You've got your own self that's going to fight against you. All the turmoil that we go in through our minds and stuff. We've got all kinds of things coming against us. We need some kind of power from God to overcome. David had all kinds of things going against So what does it mean to be anointed? Here, real briefly, everybody. Anointing. So oil was taken in the Bible, oil, symbolic of the Holy Spirit, and was placed on a person, right? And that meant that the Holy Spirit, the power of the living God, would come upon a person. They were anointed. So Moses anoints Aaron. And what does he do when he anoints Aaron? I guess Aaron really need a heavy dose of anointing, so he takes a whole bucket of oil, right? And he just dumps it on the guy's head, and whoosh, like he's just drenched. Like, I, he couldn't open a doorknob for months after that was over. Right? He was completely drenched with the oil, is all I'm trying to say to you. You have to get anointed. So David was anointed. So when Samuel comes, you're going to be king, he follows it up and he anoints them. And it was like from the moment he anointed him, nothing could stop it. Nothing could stop it. Listen to this. 1 Samuel 16, verses 12 and 13, the Lord said, rise, Samuel. And anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And then check this out. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. What I want you to see, everybody, is from that point on, nothing could stop God's good, perfect, and pleasing will taking place in David's life. Who was against him? His father was unsupportive of him. His older brother had rebuked him. Right? Goliath said to him, I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to dismember you, David. Finally, King Saul is so jealous of David, he hunts him down like a rat. All the days, David's living in caves and all this kind all over the place. But what I'm telling you is the entire armies that were following King Saul, all of the stuff that was going against King David, nothing could stop God's will from taking place in his life. What I want to ask you to consider doing today is that if you want God's will in your life, if you're interested in growing your faith and you want to be on board with God's will in your life, I'm just asking you to consider this. God's word is very simple, very clear. Sometimes I search and search. Oh, God, what do I got to do? I'm fighting against you. I want your will to be done, but things are fighting against me. And God says, okay, why don't you consider doing this? Why don't you consider the simple things that are in the Bible? What if you got some oil and you were anointed in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit 
and believe the power of God according to his word, that God would come upon you and boom, nothing could stand in the way. And so this is what God says to us. So I want to encourage you. We're getting ready to have communion in just a moment. Music team's going to come up, going to play for us. The prayer team is going to be against the wall over there and they are armed with anointing oil. And they are prepared to pray for you. And there's a whole bunch of you that want and need God's will to take place in your life. Now, our communion people are getting ready to disperse now. They're going to go. There are five different spots throughout this room that they're going to be in. You'll take the bread. You will dip it in the cup. You will eat the bread. And then you are free to sit back in your seats and to pray and to consider all that Jesus Christ has done for you. If you'd like to leave, you could leave. But I highly encourage you to think about this. Simply stepping over to the wall and having somebody anoint you with oil and believe that the power of God is going to come upon you and that nothing is going to stop God's good, perfect, and pleasing will to take place in your life. When we have the anointing of God upon our lives, nothing is going to stop that. It, God's will is going to run down the track like a mighty locomotive and it's just going to bust everything in its path. Isaiah chapter 10. What does it say? It says the anointing breaks the yoke. And some of us are in bondage, yoked down, so to speak. But we need something to come along and break that yoke. And we're told in the scripture that the anointing of God breaks the yoke. And that, my friends, is a very wonderful, wonderful thing. So uh, let me pray. And then uh, we're going to take communion. And I encourage you, if you would like to, to step over and meet us on the wall. And we'd be glad to anoint you with oil and to pray for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Jesus Christ, first of all. I thank you so much for your sacrifice for us. Your love, your act of service, what you have done for us in shedding your blood and dying on the cross is just unbelievable. You have laid down your life that we might receive freedom. God, help every single one of us to consider, to seriously consider this morning what you have done. And as your word says, help us to examine our own hearts. Examine our hearts. To see... Is there something in our lives that we need to surrender to you? Lord, bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ until the day that Jesus returns. Be with us. And Father, for all those who will be prayed for this morning, let your will roll down the tracks and let nothing stop it. In Jesus' name, amen.